Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word in order to lead us to a personal transformational relationship with God. This podcast series called Philippians, How to Have Joy, was recorded from September to October of 2021, a sermon series by Preset Ministries National Director Mark Sheldrake to a local Ontario church. Now let us listen to Mark's message as he takes us into the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians where through scripture we can discover how to have joy. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you and we stand here today because of the blood sacrificed on the cross by your death, burial, and resurrection. We can claim victory today over sin and death and the world that is around us. Father, I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 when he looks Satan in the eyes and says, Oh, death, where is your sting? We, we feel no sting of death in our lives because we have victory in your son, Jesus. So, Lord, as we, we live each and every day for you to bring glory and honor to you, may we do so remembering that nothing holds us down here because of your son. We can claim victory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Anyway, uh, good to see all of you this morning. This is it. This is the end of the book of Philippians. Do you know, um, I was thinking about, uh, before we get into the passage, just a couple things. When I started driving to Port Rowan uh, in May, all the farmers were getting the fields ready for uh, planting and crops, and now they're cleaning them up for winter. And uh, so I've been coming, coming regularly for a number of months, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to lead you through God's word. And uh, as I was saying to the elders, we've seen God at work over the last number of months, and I'm thankful uh, for that. So let's Uh, without further ado, get into the book of Philippians, okay? So uh, Philippians chapter 4 is where we're at, and I've got to tell you uh, these verses. Again, we've got a verse coming up today, t-shirt worthy verse, all right? Maybe maybe you have it on on a sign in your house too. All right, so also we'll get to it, but it is one of the number one verses used out of context in scripture. So we'll uh, draw out of that. Here's where I want to start though. Uh, Over uh, the last number of years that I have been pastoring and working at, at Precept, you probably know this, but I took up long distance running uh, for fun. Right? A lot of people look and go, why do you find that fun? Well, I uh, thoroughly enjoy it because it is something that plays with your mind. And so uh, there's a great YouTube video, and it is called The Mind of a Marathon Runner as they're going through the marathon. So if you ever want to have fun and go on YouTube and check it out, 
it's worthwhile. So I want to tell you quickly uh, what has run through my mind as I have run a marathon, because this is all going to walk through to what we're talking about today. So when the gun goes off and the race starts, in my mind, I am invincible. I have no problem. I am feeling good. I am doing well. And then at around 20 kilometers, I think I am so close to the halfway mark of 42 kilometers, and I am still doing well. And then I get to this place around 32 kilometers, which they call the wall. And that's when, if you don't use proper nutrition and you don't drink enough water, you're, you start to have some problems. And it's around 32 kilometers that I start to say to myself, I am going to die. This is the most painful, stupid thing I have ever done in my life. Why am I doing this? What a waste of time. Do you know I've spent 16 weeks getting up every Saturday morning to run? I could have been laying in bed. There's got to be better things to do. That's 32 kilometers. Then 36 kilometers... I am invincible. I am going to finish this thing. 38 kilometers. My feet are going to fall off. (laughs) And then, you know what? You start to see 40, 41. And then, there's there's one of the races I ran was in Chicago with over 2 million uh, people on the streets. Uh, Jessica was with me in Chicago once, and I never saw her the whole time because there was so many people. But I saw the finish line, and everything in my mind went from, my feet don't hurt, my body doesn't hurt, I am about to cross that line. Victory is mine. And I get across that line, And I cross the line, and the next thing I say to myself is, I can't go another foot further. I am done. I can't move beyond that finish line. Chicago Marathon, they make you walk 1.5 kilometers to where your family is after. And you walk like this. (laughs) You barely hang on. Uh, Once I was in Chicago, and I couldn't remember where the car was parked. (laughs) ended up walking an extra four kilometers in circles trying to find the car. So your brain is not working properly. But you see, this is what Paul is drawing us through, is right thinking. And uh, within the marathon, you have to have right thinking. Uh, When you start to draw your mind to other things and the facts that you're going to die, you start to lose your focus, and your attention on completing the goal. Uh, Let's look through some scriptures, okay? So keep your finger in Philippians chapter 4, and I want to draw you to some uh, Old Testament passages as well as the New Testament about right thinking, okay? So first, let's look at Isaiah uh, chapter 26, verse 3. 
Okay, so keep in mind that as Paul wraps up this letter, uh, he's going to draw us through into uh, what it means to think properly. All right, so Isaiah 26, verse 3. All right, listen to what is said here. It says, the steadfast of mind, all right, so one who thinks right will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Uh, There's this draw that we're going to come through all the text that thinking and peace come together. All right, so look at with me now uh, from Isaiah, go to the book of Proverbs. All right, so in the book of Proverbs, we have the wisdom books, and listen to what uh, Solomon writes about thinking. So Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. All right, so what he says here is, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. All right, he says to you, eat and drink, but his heart uh, is not with you. So for as he thinks within himself, uh, he is. All right, so just think about this for a minute as you, as you walk and as you are thinking and wrapping your mind around your internal thoughts, you can shape and form the way you think about yourself by just your thoughts about who you are. Right? So if, if I were a person that was not having confidence to run and finish that race, like I get in that wall area, I start to actually slow down and not meet the goals that I want to accomplish. Because I start telling myself within my head and within my heart, you're not good enough to finish this. You can't do it. You didn't train enough. You're not built to be able to cross the finish line. And so as right thinking, uh, we need to pay close attention to that, okay? So Romans chapter 8. Look at Romans chapter 8. And as we uh, look at Romans 8, it's going to bring us into our text for today in the book of Philippians. So Romans chapter 8, verse 6, okay? So Pay close attention to what Paul says here. Uh, This is all about right thinking again. All right, it says in verse 6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Do you see that all through these verses, there's something there about the way we think that brings us peace, okay? So uh, let's go to Philippians chapter four now, and let's look at where we came from last week, all right? So we came out of last week, and we were looking at these main verses, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
All right, so again, we're talking about the mind. Remember those characters we had up on the screen last week, those circumstances that cause us to be the way that we think, all right? So what Paul told us last week was he gave us a really good model of how to pray right, all right? So rightful praying, he said that this is what you need to do, and we came up with this equation last week, prayer plus supplication plus thanksgiving equals the peace of God. All right, these are the things that we looked at. And so when we follow this prayer and this equation, it seems to tell us, according to the text, that our anxious feelings can be taken away by the time we spend with God in conversation with him. All right, so this, again, bringing us back to the mind. So we're looking at what it means now to have a secure mind. So part of that is having a a prayer life that is in right, all right? So when I say in right, I'm going to show you what a prayer life is uh, not correct a little bit later. Okay, so now let's pull through to our text for today, and it starts at verse 8, okay? Look at what he says in verse 8. It's so fitting, isn't it? Like, this is is the last day I'll be be with you for a little while, and look what it says in verse 8, finally, right? We're closing out this letter. Finally, brethren, whatever is true. Uh, He said finally in chapter 3, verse 1, but this is the finally, finally. Okay, this is it. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything in excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, okay? So here's the difference between these verses, okay? So if you look to the previous verses, we're talking about how Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Then he shows us how to pray to take away those anxious feelings, all right? So it doesn't say that it cures those anxious feelings, right? We still have to have a secure mind and focus so that those anxious thoughts and those worries of that we have in our life, they don't come back to control us, all right? We should not be controlled by our circumstances, but we should be controlled by our position in Jesus Christ. And so what we have to do is we have to look at verse 8 by itself for a moment and look at what Paul says. All right, remember, Paul, he's a pro at this. He's not telling us this as though he's never put it into practice. Why do we know that? He is in prison. He is just two years away from being beheaded. He has had shipwrecks. He has starved. He's gone hungry. He's been beaten. And how can he do all of these things without being anxious and worried? Can you imagine going into a town and being ready to prepare the gospel and preach the gospel? And he knows as he walks into that town that he is going to be stoned and beaten for the gospel. This happens everywhere. Why? Because Paul went to places where the gospel had never been brought before. He was going into hostile territory. But how can he do this? Remember, his focus has always been on the gospel. So he says, this is what you need to do. Don't be controlled 
by your anxiousness and your worries and things that you have in life, but what you need to do is dwell on things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are right, things that are pure, things that are lovely and good repute, anything that you can think of that brings excellence, these are the things that are worthy of praise and you need to keep your focus on. All right, these are the, these are the things that will help to stop your mind from being unsecure and focused on worries and anxieties in life. Last week, I shared with you one of the principles of how to accomplish this, and that is to be able to carry around a a recipe card or put something on your phone that will help you to remember these good and true things. All right, so let me just give you a couple things that you could dwell on throughout the week to take away the worries and anxieties and issues that you have, all right? Whatever is true. Do you want to know what's true? God's word is true. God's promises are true. What he says, he will do. You can dwell on the fact that every time you open God's word and you hold it close to your heart, it is true. God's word never disappoints. Uh, Let me give you another one. Whatever is honorable, all right? Uh, God and his word is honorable. Here, Here, let me give you another one. Do you see where we're headed here? God's word is right. God's word is pure. Uh, God's word is lovely and it is of good repute. God's word is excellence. God's word is worthy of praise. Uh, If you were to spend time just in the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis alone, you are going to see all kinds of names of God. Uh, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for God there and creator is Elohim. Uh, he is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He spoke creation into existence. Uh, he created man and woman in his image. And he looked and he saw at what he created and it was good. Uh, You are a part of God's creation. And he loves you. And he wants you to follow after him. These promises and these truths, these things are the things that we need to focus on and not allow ourselves to be overtaken by the worries of life. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, God is my provider. I don't have to worry about where the things are going to come from and what I'm going to do financially if I can understand that God's word is true, that he will provide for me. Uh, These are the things that we are to focus on.
All right? So if you were to summarize just by itself and you're taking notes, all right, so verse 8, this is how I would summarize verse 8, okay? It is simply this. It is right thinking, okay? So if we were to look at the previous verses, he shows us how to uh, pray in a way that God will do his work. And in verse 8, he shows us how to pray, how to think properly. Now, follow with me because I want you to see the power of God's word through the mouth of David. All right, so turn with me to Psalm chapter 19. And I want you to see what David says about God's word. And listen to what it does for David in Psalm chapter 19. All right, so if Psalm 19, starting at verse 7. All right, here's what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect. All right, that word perfect in Hebrew means complete. Okay, so it is complete. Look what it does. God's word restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Look what they do to the heart of the individual who spends time in God's word. Uh, They are rejoicing to the heart. Uh, They bring joy. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. God's word is sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Look what it tells us next. Moreover, by God's word, your servant is warned. In keeping God's word and his commandments and his precepts, there is great reward. So if you're ever uh, struggling within your day-to-day and you're trying to determine how do I figure out what I need to dwell on, what is pure and what is true, open God's word. Have a relationship with his word that is more than just simply quickly reading through a number of verses and then putting it away and forgetting about it. Uh, God told Joshua, he said, let those words be on your lips. He said, meditate on them day and night. Because when you do, you're focusing on things that are true and pure and right. Okay, so now look, we're going to walk into the next verse. We can't spend the whole time there. As a precept, God, I could stay. Verse 8, whole time. All right, so let's look at verse 9. Okay, so right thinking, okay, dwelling on these right things, which is an ongoing thing that we must do. Right thinking leads to right living. Okay, so verse 9 summary would be living right. 
Okay, because look what he says in verse 9. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And look at that. Do you see it? Before I even read it, do you see what it says? It says that the God of peace will be with you. Wait a minute. Have we seen this before? Look at what he says in verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 9, he again mentions this peace that we're going to have within us. So it comes to first when we have worries of anxiousness and and fears and all of these thoughts that are are not right thinking, they come up. We, We go to God in prayer and we make supplication and thanksgiving and then the peace of God overcomes us. And you know what? It takes a time for us to give all those things to God and then he says, dwell on what is right, dwell on what is honorable, dwell on what is pure and lovely. And he says, practice this. Do this regularly. And what happens? The peace of God will be with you. You see how God and his peace is at work? It guards our hearts and our minds from inner. And then when we dwell on things that are good, uh, we will be in a feeling of peace. Peace with inside us as we dwell on what is good. All right? So uh, right thinking leads to right living. Now, I'm going to take you to the book of James. All right? So turn with me to the book of James because I want you to see how James addresses uh, this very same topic, but he shows us the one who does not pray in a proper position, one who does not think in a proper position and one who does not live in a proper position. All right, so James chapter four, starting at verse one. All right, keep this in mind. Right praying, right living, uh, right thinking, and right living. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? Uh, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and can obtain, uh, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Now watch this. Here here comes praying with a wrong attitude in verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you spend it on your own pleasures. Do you hear what James is saying? You pray with not the heart of God in mind. You pray to have your own gain. That's not right praying. That's not going to God like we're shown in Philippians chapter four. All right, now look at uh, verse four because this is an example of wrong living. You adulteresses, Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Do you see it now? You see wrong thinking? You can't have and worship things of the world, things that are not pure, things that are not holy, things that are not true, because if you do those things, you are an enemy of God. And therefore, he says, if you focus on those things, you make yourself out to be in war with God. All right, so wrong praying, you ask out of your own heart and your own pleasures. Uh, wrong, thi- wrong living, you, you become friends with the world. And then now let's look at wrong thinking. Verse five says, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which has made to dwell in us, but he gives us greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, you see what he's saying in wrong thinking? James is telling us that you can't uh, have a focus of that being on the world, all right? You can't have feet in both fields. You can't love the world, and you can't love Jesus. You can't serve two masters according to Jesus. So here in James chapter 4, we see uh, this example of what it looks like to not think properly, to not pray properly, and to not live properly. So what Paul tells us is the opposite here. Here's how to pray properly. Here's how to live properly. And then he's going to show us the secret. All right? He's going to show us the key that locks the mind. Okay? Because this all about, this whole, this whole section is about the secure mind, and he's going to show us how to lock it down. Okay? So first he showed us how to lock it down through prayer. He showed us how to lock it down through thinking on things that are pure. He showed us how to practice these things and keep doing them on a regular basis so that we can get better at it. And now here comes the final twist of the key that's going to lock the secure mind. All right? This one, this one folks, this one might hurt. Okay? This is the one that might hurt the most out of all of them. Verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have received, revived your concern for me. Indeed, we were concerned, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from what I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. All right, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. All right, so here, here's the secret, okay? Listen to what Paul says one more time in verse 11. He says, I have learned to be content in what? What does the text say? You tell me. 
In what? In what? Every circumstance. Uh, wait a minute. Let's, let's go back and look at uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 4, because you're all awake with me, right? Rejoice in the Lord when? When? Always rejoice in the Lord. Be content in what? Every circumstance. Oh, what do you mean? What do you mean be content in every circumstance? Does this mean when when I'm going through the the worst trial of my life, when I am suffering uh, and in so much pain, I am to be content with that and rest in that? Yes, it does. Does it mean when when everything is great and, and my bank account is overflowing with funds that I am supposed to be content in that? Yes, it does. From the worst of the circumstances to the best of the circumstances, we are to be content. This is the secret to a secure mind. This is the opposite of what the world teaches. The world doesn't teach you to be content. The world teaches you to get more and more and more. Did you know that Amazon has algorithms in their website that as you purchase something, obviously it starts to gain and build on your purchase history, but it begins to put things right in front of your eyes so that you will continue to purchase and funding his trips to space. Uh, This week, uh, Jeff Bezos said that there will be people born in space within the next 15 to 20 years. Amazon's sole purpose is to make millions and billions and trillions of dollars off of you not being content in your life. Did you know that? They want you to keep spending more and more money on things that maybe you don't need. That even when you tune into things like Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, they start to have all these advertisements that come up that draw you in. Guess what? I have been a sucker for one of them for sure. I I bought this rollout draining rack because I saw it on Instagram. That thing is cool, folks. We didn't need it. But it's awesome. You're all going to be looking for it now. But this is the deal. That Paul tells us that in his pursuit and mission of the gospel, that his sole focus was populate heaven and plunder hell at all costs that he says, I have learned to be content in whatever position I am in. I don't know about you, but would I be able to to feel content sitting in a prison knowing that I am about to face death? Would I be content 
as my arms are tied to a wooden pole and my back is sent like this so that Roman soldiers could scourge and beat me for the gospel. Could I be content in that? Could could I thank the Lord for being in that position? Look what he says in verse 12. He, He shows us all of these things that he has learned to be content in. All right? I I know how to get along with humble means, all right? So uh, he is not driving his uh, gold-wheeled chariot through all the places to go and get to his place where he's going to preach. Uh, He's not driving the greatest Cadillac Escalade ever known to man that Shaquille O'Neal would drive. He knows how to live by humble means. Ah, but wait, wait. He knows how to live in prosperity as well. Uh, In the good times when things are going well. In every circumstance, he's learned how to do this. Uh, He's learned how to live and be content with being hungry. Not having enough to be able to buy a loaf of bread. He's learned to be content in that. He's learned to uh, live in abundance, and then he's learned to be content in suffering. This is, this is the hard part for us, because uh, for us to be living in content, this, this, again, is completely opposite to what the world teaches uh, the idea of content is to be satisfied in every position. And here's how we know that Paul can do it. All right? Uh, Look at the next verse with me because uh, this really is what pulls the key out of the lock and finally says that my mind is secure in Jesus Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Anyone heard that verse before? Raise your hand. (laughs) You know, when you, do you take that when you're like trying to pull a nail out of a piece of wood? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you never never done that? Is it just me? Uh, When I run a marathon, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying that, watch for it. He says, I've learned to be content in everything. In every circumstance, whether good or bad, whether I've been hungry or whether I've been filled with my belly full of food, whether I've been beaten, whether I've been shipwrecked, in whatever I have done, I have been content in that because I am powered by Jesus Christ. This this verse is used out of context all the time, but when we keep it in context, this is how Paul remains content in his life. Because it is Christ who strengthens him. Uh, One scholar uh, wrote this concerning this verse He said, I am ready for anything to come at me because of the strength of the one who lives in me. 
We can, we can be content and ready for every circumstance that we are in because of the very fact that we are powered by Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit within us that gives us all the satisfaction we need that we can be content. Uh, I want to take you uh, to the book of Job for a minute. And uh, Job chapter 1 and I want you to see uh, the life of Job and see what happens to this, this man uh, when he is uh, living life to the fullest. All right? So content in life is being satisfied in all circumstances. And then in Job chapter 1... We have this man, and I'm not going to walk us through every verse there, but I'm going to kind of summarize for you. But I want you to see one verse. All right, there's this man named Job living in the land of Uz. This is, Job is probably written 600 years before the book of Genesis. All right, so uh, Job was a Gentile, and yet he was one who feared God, And when he would give sacrifices and burnt offerings, as verse 5 says, he would do that not only for himself, but also for his children when they were feasting uh, for the reason that this man feared God. Uh, He says that I made sacrifices because perhaps my sons may have sinned continually. Uh, So what happens is uh, Job did this on a regular basis, But then in verse 6, the scene changes. The scene changes in verse 6, and it is a conversation between God and Satan in heaven, and Job comes up. And, And God says to Satan, have you ever considered my servant Job? He is blameless and upright, and he fears God. And Satan says to him, he will curse you, God, if I Take everything away that you have given him. And so uh, the rest of chapter one, we see multiple servants coming through and reporting to Job about the loss of his children and then the loss of his livestock and the loss of his house and everything before him. And then in verse 20, it shows us out of his grief and out of what is happening, it says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Uh, Then we have uh, his wife uh, in chapter 2, who's looking at Job, who's full of boils, head to toe, who's been touched by Satan himself, but not allowed to kill him. And the wife comes over, wonderful, encouraging words from his wife. Hang in there, endure Job. Time is coming, you're gonna be fine. She comes over and says, why don't you just curse God and die and get it over with? And this is what Job says to his wife. He says in verse 10, uh, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. 
Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Do you see the two things that Job says in both these verses? First, he says, uh, naked I came into the world. All of the possessions that I had when I was rich and prospering and doing well, they weren't mine in the first place. They were God's. And God uh, chose to take them all away because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Uh, Job being content with his circumstances and understanding that God is sovereign and God is in control and God provided these things in the first place and God also took them away. And then look what he says in verse 10 again. He says, shall we indeed not accept good from God uh, and not accept adversity? Uh, Job being content in the circumstances. Trust me, this, does, this contentment doesn't stay long. Uh, he, he suffers a lot and questions God a lot through the book of Job. But here he says, look, look what comes from God. Everything I have comes from God. And God can take everything I have away. And should I not accept good and adversity from God? Uh, being content in all things. Okay, now flip back to Philippians. And let's look at uh, these verses again, Philippians chapter four, and starting at verse 10, or at verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any of these things... In any excellence, in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at last you have received your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak from what I want, uh, from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I have. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any, in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having an abundance and suffering. The secret is found in verse 13. This is what the final lock on a secure mind is, is he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Every circumstance that he has been in his entire life, he can be content in that position and not worry and not be anxious and not have the world and the circumstances control his thoughts. Why? Because he is fueled by the power of Jesus Christ. Folks, I want to just share with you for a moment because we are living right now in the world that we are living in a world that is just building and building and building and causing us to want to be more fearful and more anxious and more worried than ever before. 
Uh, there are charts out, and, and as I get ready for our precept board meeting in December, there are charts out with, with this thing called inflation where you're seeing these numbers, and I'm no accountant by any means. Inflation's like going way up, and, and the discussions are, will people be able to afford to live under an economy that we have going on in the world right now? It's creating fear and building and building and building, and we have the idea of this virus will it ever go away? All of this stuff is building in fear within us. But we, as believers, we have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to be anxious about. Why? Because God is sovereign, God is in control, and we are his. And you and I, we are powered by the Holy Spirit. And our sole purpose in all that we have to do is from now until Christ calls us home, is dwell on what is good. Don't focus on what's happening around in the world. Don't focus on those things. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Paul says, set your mind on Christ. Dwell on what is good. We spend too much time about the worries of this world. And Jesus, as he writes in Matthew chapter 6, he says he takes care of the little sparrow. How much more will he take care of you? He loves you. He cares for you. He's put his spirit within you to power you through this. This is how Paul has lived to be content This is how we can live to be content. Now, here's how Paul wraps out this letter. All right? Uh, Paul wraps out this letter, uh, which is very interesting because as he brings us through these final verses, he starts verse 14 and he says, nevertheless. Okay, so he says, I have learned to be content in all circumstances because it is Christ within me who strengthens me. And he says to the church, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. All right, so what Paul is saying here, okay, is Paul is addressing the church directly because Paul has received financial gifts from the church at Philippi. Uh, These financial gifts that Paul has received have helped fund his ministry, all right? It has helped bring the gospel to locations all over uh, Asia Minor, okay? So what he's done here is he's saying, yes, I have learned to be content with everything that I have, whether in good or bad, but I don't want you, church, to know that the gifts you have given me are not valuable, that I want you to know it's still important for you to fund the ministry of the gospel. So he's encouraging the church in this verse to let them know, look, look, the gifts that you have given, they have been a blessing. They have encouraged, they have been used. Look what he says in verse 15. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel... After I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. 
All right, so you've got to take this all the way back to the book of Acts when Paul is beginning his ministry and he is going around and he is working as a tent maker, usually until Timothy or somebody else would come along and partner with them and then Paul would get to work on the gospel full time. And so Paul still had to live. He still had to eat. It didn't mean that he could just go about his ministry starving to death all the time. We know the physical body needs nourishment. And so these gifts were used to fund the ministry. But all of the churches that he went to, the Philippians alone, were one who set aside and sacrificed their finances for the ministry that Paul. He says, even, verse 16, even the church at Thessalonica sent a gift more than once for my needs. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases your account. Uh, one of the things that brings joy, all right, you ready for this? One of the things that brings joy is to take what God has given us and to implant that into the ministry of the gospel. We can give from what God has given us to further the ministry of the gospel to this world. He says, Paul doesn't want you to just, he just doesn't want to receive the gift, but the profit which increases to your account, which is joy and participation in the gospel. Go back to chapter one with me for a quick, for a quick minute. Chapter one, uh, verse three, four, and five. Remember what Paul said to them at the very beginning uh, when he opened this letter. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all you, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is talking about how they were participating and receiving and believing the gospel, but also funding the ministry that Paul had. All right? So here we have Paul uh, thanking the church for the gift that was given to provide and move the ministry forward. Look at verse 18. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrificing, a sacrifice, and it is well-pleasing to God. Here's what Paul, Paul's saying in these passages. And here's what is so important for you to understand. Right thinking, uh, right living, uh, being content in all circumstances. And then this final section, which, which focuses on the importance of giving out of what God has given you. He says here that this gift, more important than the gift alone, but the profit that comes from it, which increases to your account, which is blessings, he says this gift is a fragrant aroma, it's an acceptable sacrifice, and it pleases God. Paul is drawing right here on the Old Testament 
in which when a sacrifice, a burnt offering, was given to God, it was a fragrant aroma that God would accept this sacrifice. And when he accepted this sacrifice, God was pleased with the atonement that was made through that sacrifice. And here, Paul is comparing the gifts of the church at Philippi to worship. And in this process, through worship, it brings the church joy to partner in the gospel. You see, the opposite of what the world, the world tells you to gain more and more and more and more and more. Collect up all kinds of stuff. Carry it with you. Uh, When I worked in a funeral home, I watched as people were taken and their caskets were put and their fortunes were buried with them in these caskets and they were put into the ground with their fortunes. Why? So that nobody else could have them. And what Paul says is different for those who are believers is we are to be content with what we have, whether we have a lot, whether we don't have a lot, but the most important thing is we gotta live and dwell on the things that are good And then Paul thanks this church that those who were not living in a good position, those who were living in a good position, they all came together and they made a big sacrifice through their church, a church that had no synagogue, a church that had no place, but a group and a body came together to sacrifice from their own pockets to fund the ministry that Paul had. And he says, this is worship to God. You see, when we, when we don't live in, in content and we're not satisfied what we, what, with what we have and we want more and more, we want to build up and hold it for ourselves, that is against what the Bible says and what Jesus tells us because he says, don't store up your treasures on earth. He talks about building your treasures in heaven. So Paul ends this letter of all things And he thanks this church for investing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your giving is spiritual worship. And then he ends here with with a benediction that we want to look at and, and wrap ourselves around some application here before we wrap up. He says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, in Christ Jesus. Uh, What's Paul saying here? Paul's telling us that uh, as a part of this sacrificial giving to the church, that he knows God as provider. That God is the one who is going to supply to this church and these individuals all that they need according to what? The riches that he has in heaven and in Jesus Christ. He's putting a benediction on him that God would bless them for the sacrifice that they have made in funding Paul's ministry. The end of the story of Job, as Job remained faithful. And Job 
had a conversation with God in chapters 41 and 42. And at the end of chapter 42, God restores Job to twice he had what he had before. And he remained faithful in all those things. And I want to be careful because I don't want you to think that I'm leaving you on this last Sunday with some prosperity message that if you give out of your pocket, that you will receive double back. That's not what the scriptures are telling us. The scriptures are telling us here that as this church funded the ministry of the gospel, Paul's prayer was that God would supply all that they needed, that God would provide for this church. He says, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's house. And he ends his letters like he does with most of his letters. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, so what's the, the application that comes out of the text that we see here? There's three things. One is that we must be people who think right. We must dwell on the things that are good, and that is dwelling on the character of God, the sovereignty of God, the promises of God, and reflecting on God's word. When we do that and we immerse ourselves within God's word, we will then learn to practice these things and live them out. And a part of dwelling on what is good and part of living those things out, we can learn to be content in all that we have in every circumstance that we are in, and we can understand that everything that we have is because of God, and we can respond in kind and give to others. This is why Paul loved this church. Paul loved this church because they were living out the truth of the gospel in their lives, and they saw Paul's examples, and they followed after And then they invested in Paul's ministry to populate heaven and plunder hell. It all comes out of a right heart and a right focus. The call to share in ministry together, to partner in ministry together, and be content in whatever circumstance comes before us. But here's the problem. This is where... where The rubber hits the road. Are you ready? If you don't think right and you don't live right, you'll never be content. You'll never have joy. You'll never live a life that brings glory and honor to God. It all starts right here. Everything that we have starts right here. The information of the gospel comes in through our ears, we listen to it, we, our brains uh, function and bring it to us an understanding, and the Holy Spirit works within us, but until it sinks within our hearts, it's just head knowledge. Right thinking propels us to right living, and right living helps us to understand that we can be content in all circumstances. 
It brings us closer to the Lord. So is that you? Is that you this morning? Are you content in all the circumstances that you have? Are you overcome by worries and anxiousness of life? Are you one that worries about every storm that comes around you? Or do you have a true understanding of who God is and what God has done for you? And more importantly, what God has put within you that can power you and fuel you to be content in every circumstance. This is the letter to Philippians. It's about how to have a secure mind in Jesus Christ to live and prepare for his return. And that's my prayer for you folks, that this just wouldn't be head knowledge, that this would be heart transformation, that you would look at all circumstances, that you would experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding as you live each and every day for him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for what your word has to tell us. We thank you that it is filled with promises. We thank you that it is true, that it is honorable, that it is pure, that it is excellent. We thank you that we can count on your word and the promises that come from us. Father, I pray over each and every person in this room and those who are watching online that if they are overcome by the circumstances of the world, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would remind them of their position in you. That this is something that we would never forget, that because of your death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, like we sang earlier today, we have victory. That means we stand with you. That means that you are by our side. You promise to never leave us or forsake us. That when you ascended into heaven, you sent your helper to inhabit us and live within us. And that is the power that propels us to be content in all that we are, have to live a life that brings glory and honor to you no matter the circumstances. That we are people that don't need to be overcome by worry and anxiousness and fear and all of these feelings that we have looked at over the last number of weeks. It's okay to have those feelings, Lord, but not to be ruled by them. Why? Because we stand with you. So Lord, let that sink into our hearts by your spirit. Continue to convict us when our responses in the midst of circumstances overcome our position in you. Maybe be examples to others, like Paul was an example to this church. May we continue to be humble in all that we do and for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Be sure to visit our website, presetministries.ca. To find a Bible study class or workshop, 
that will give you the tools to know God deeply, 